Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 5 through 9 where Paul used an agricultural analogy to illustrate the foolishness of the Corinthians idolizing of certain teachers. In his analogy, the Corinthians were a field where Paul and Apollos had planted and watered the seed of the gospel while God alone gave the growth. And Paul's point was that the planter and the waterer were really nothing compared to God who gave the growth. Therefore, God alone deserved all the credit. God alone deserved the worship. God alone deserved the loyalty. Paul and Apollos, they were merely servants. Then at the very end of the passage in verse 9, Paul introduced another analogy, which he'll use in our text today. Last week's illustration was agricultural, and this week's is architectural. Here is verse 9 of chapter 3 again. For we are God's fellow workers... You are God's field, God's building. That is a transitional verse. It looks back to the analogy before where the Corinthians were pictured as God's field. And it looks forward to our verses today where the Corinthians will be pictured as God's building. And so Paul is moving from cultivation to construction. And as he does you're going to see that in these two analogies, there is one big difference in the analogy that we're studying today. In the analogy we're studying today, Paul will give an exhortation. Unlike verses 5 through 9, embedded in this analogy is an instruction for all of us to follow. And we'll see... The instruction is to not waste our life, which the Corinthians were in jeopardy of doing. So as we study through these verses, remember that this is God's word we're reading. God's word that I have the privilege of preaching, God's word that we get to study today. And in God's word alone, we learn who God is. And whenever God's word is preached and helped by the Holy Spirit, it results in our good and God's glory. So if we're after good today, if we're after glory today, we should pray. Please bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, as we listen to this sermon, fill our minds with truth. Fill our hearts with desire And move our wills to trust, honor, and obey you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you're using one of our church Bibles, which you're free to take with you. If you don't own a Bible, you will find today's text on page 619. Can someone in the back... The blinds that are right next to that maximum occupancy sign. Can you close those blinds? Like a blinding light that's hitting my eyes. Okay, let's read the first part of verse 10. The first part of verse 10 where we'll find a summary 
of Paul's architectural analogy. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Builder. Foundation. Building. There's several parts to this analogy, so let's identify each of them by asking four questions. Number one, what is this project being described? Number two, who laid the foundation? Number three, what is the foundation? And number four, who was building upon the foundation? So question number one, what is the the project here? And that was answered for us in verse 9, where Paul introduced this analogy and said, you are God's building. And the you were his readers. And his readers were those Paul addressed this letter to, whom he identified in chapter 1, verse 2. To, his letter was written to, the church of God that is in Corinth. So the project or the home being built is the church of God that was in Corinth. Okay, question number two. Who laid the foundation? Well, in verse 10, Paul wrote, I laid a foundation. So that's very clear. Paul laid the foundation. And if we look closely here, we're told a couple more things about Paul's work. First, he laid the foundation like a skilled master builder. Paul knew what he was doing. He was like a master builder. Paul had a plan. He had the necessary skills to do the job. He had the right tools. He was like a master builder. And then second here, lest we think that Paul is patting himself on the back, look what he says First, in verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. In other words, yes, Paul laid the foundation. Yes, Paul did that like a skilled master builder, but it was only by the grace of God. And this dependency on the grace of God was always front and center in Paul's mind. For example, later in this letter, Paul says this. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though... It was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So, according to the grace of God given to him, Paul was the master builder who laid the foundation of the church of God in Corinth. So, number three, what is the foundation? Paul laid the foundation. What actually is the foundation? What What did Paul set for this church to be built on? We're plainly told in verse 11. But even if we were not plainly told, we could probably figure it out. The foundation is the same thing 
as the seed that Paul planted. The seed Paul brought to town and the foundation Paul brought to town were the only things Paul brought to town. Here is what he said in the first two verses of chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the word of the cross, that is what Paul came proclaiming. That was the seed he planted. That was the foundation he laid. And now Paul says this expressly in verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what foundation did Paul set for this church to be built on? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The foundation of that church. The foundation of any church. The foundation of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last question. Number four. Who was building upon that foundation? Paul laid the foundation, but what about the superstructure? What about the house on top of the foundation? Who was building that? In other words, who does Paul have in mind in verse 10 when he says someone else is building upon it? He says, I laid the foundation. Someone else is building upon it. That someone in the original text is singular. And I think Paul probably has Apollos in mind. If we read Acts 18, it is clear that the teacher, the pastor Apollos, came to town after Paul. And he built upon the foundation that Paul set. He stood on his shoulders. He took up the work that Paul started. He grabbed the baton out of Paul's hand as Paul moved on and Apollos continued the race in Corinth. The foundation of the gospel was laid by Paul. But he passed the work on to Apollos. And Apollos is now there. He is the someone who is building upon the foundation that Paul set. So if you put all this together, this is a very similar picture to last week's picture if you were here, isn't it? Paul has just moved from a a farming analogy to a construction analogy. In the former, Paul planted. In the latter, Paul laid the foundation. In the former, Apollos watered. In the latter, Apollos built upon the foundation. So that's the analogy. Apollos is building this church in Corinth on the foundation which Paul laid, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the analogy. And now here is the exhortation. 
Remember, this is what is unique about this analogy compared to the one last week. In this analogy, in this picture, in this illustration, embedded is an exhortation. It's in verse 10. I'll read the whole verse and listen for the command at the very end. Verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. That's the command. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Each one. So apparently, Apollos is not the only one building on the foundation. There are others. And this exhortation is for them. They, whoever they are, must take care how they build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. We should answer two questions before we go any further. First, who are the others that are building here? And second, what are they building? So first question, who are these others at the end of verse 10? Who else is building beside Apollos? Who are these each ones Paul has in mind? And I would argue it is all of the Corinthian Christians. He's referring to all of the Corinthian Christians. They were all building. They were all working. As Paul goes on here, he's going to use the word anyone three times. Look, in verse 12, he says, now, if anyone builds on the foundation. In verse 14, he says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation And then again, he refers in verse 15 to anyone's work. In other words, anyone builds on the foundation. I think Paul means that that any of those listening may be builders. And who's listening? All of them. And all of you. His letter would have been written to and read to the entire church. And we're here gathered this morning as an extension of the church, hearing Paul's words. The others were them. The others were you, which means that this command to take care how we build upon the foundation is for all of us. Second question, what were they building? What are we building? We're being told to be careful how we build. To build a certain way so that we better understand what it is that we're actually building before we get into how we're supposed to build it. So what is it that we are actually building here? Cornerstone students. Lots of cornerstone students here. What is your mascot? 
Mr. Garby, did you come up with that mascot? You are builders. So another way of asking this question is, what does it mean to be a builder? Anyone, we've established that, any one of you may be a builder. In fact, you should be a builder. Let's figure out what that means. So here's what I figured out. First, I looked at the immediate context. Trying to understand what is it that we are being called to build. So let's start by looking at the the huddle of verses right around this one and see what we can learn. And then I went out from there and looked at outlying context. So I looked at Paul's other writings in the New Testament and looked at the way he used these same words in other places. Again, trying to understand what is it that we're supposed to be building before we look at Paul's instruction on how we're to build it. So, first, let's get into these verses right here and pick up a few clues. Again, our question as we read these verses is, what does it mean to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ? So look at verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So, it's work. This building that we're to be doing, it is work. Whatever the building is, it is hard work. And then at some point, we're told in verse 13, at some point, the building we do, the work we do, will be revealed and tested. So what we are building, what we are working to build, will one day be revealed, all of it, and it will be tested. Okay, verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Okay, that's the immediate context. Those are the verses right around our text. So what have we learned? To be a builder is hard work. And one day our work will be revealed and tested. And it will either survive or burn up. So we're learning something. To be a builder is hard work. And one day our work will be revealed and tested. And it will either survive that test or it will be burned up. And remember, according to verse 9, the structure, the project, the home is the church. God's building. So I'm thinking now as I'm studying this week. So I'm thinking now to be a builder is the hard work of building up the church. So next I looked at outlying context. Zoom out even more. I want to see if Paul's other writing concerned 
confirms that understanding. So I ended up in two places. 2 Corinthians 5.10 and Ephesians 4.11 and 12. And let's see if this confirms that the building we do is to be the hard work of building up Christ's church. Here's 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That sounds like this text. We must all one day appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That is the day in our text this morning. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So I think this is talking about the same thing. And this work is done where? Did you remember? The work that we have done in the body, that is, in the church, the body of Christ. So that begins to confirm my understanding that Paul is talking about building up the church. And then next, here is Ephesians four eleven through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, And teachers, what are all them for? Verse 12, to equip the saints. Now, who are the saints? You know, St. Mark, St. Peter, St. Jude, St. John, your really sweet grandma. Those are the saints. Who are the saints? We are all saints. If you're saved, you've been made a saint. It means you've been set apart. You've been brought into the family of God. You're citizens of a new kingdom. You're a sinner still, but you are also, and you weren't before, now a saint. So God gives the church these leaders. Why? To Ephesians 4.12, to equip the saints for what? For the work of ministry, for building up The body of Christ. So if we put all of these texts together, including ours today, it's very clear. The work we do. The building that we do is ministry. It is the work of ministry. And let me give you a definition of ministry. Ministry is any work that builds up the church by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ For the glory of God. That is ministry. Ministry is any work. That builds up the church. By proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the glory of God. In other words. Ministry is not exclusively serving within a formal church setting. When I grew up, that's what ministry was. Ministry was you're serving in a specific, official, titled, formal, detailed ministry, capital M, within the church. So growing up for me, it was even a common question. I'd hear people ask one another this question, and it seemed odd to me then. It seems odd to me now. For a while it wasn't. 
But the question was, what is your ministry? What is your ministry? And that question meant, what is the formal, official ministry within the church you serve in? Is it youth ministry? Is it children's ministry? Is it seniors ministry? Is it hospitality ministry? Is it the security ministry? Is it donut ministry? Some of you eat the donuts, you're ministering. But ministry is not, so get that out of our head, it is not exclusively that. Many of you do that, and of course it is ministry. Right? You prepare communion, and you clean this church, and you volunteer in our ministry to kids, and security, and hospitality, and music, and communications, and website, and bookstore, and many others. But that is not all that ministry is. Again, ministry is any work that builds up the church. By proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. It's having people over for dinner. It's evangelism. It is adoption. It is foster care. It is 2 Corinthians 12, 15, gladly spending and being spent for the souls of others. That's ministry. Gladly, cheerfully spending your life and having your life spent for the souls of others. It is discipling. It is parenting and all that parenting involves. Moms and dads, the, the same work you do, the different work you do to love your kids, to care for your kids, to provide for your kids. It's all ministry. Everything from washing their clothes to cooking their meals to teaching them the word of God. It is all ministry. It is any work that helps to build up the church by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. It is giving and sharing with those in need. It is teaching. It is visiting with a sick person. It is praying for someone. It is praying with someone. That is what it means to build on the foundation. That is what it means to build up the church. That is what it means to be a builder. And now here is the exhortation. As you do all that, take care how you do it. That's the construction. That's the command. As you do all that, all that ministry where you're building up the church, where you're investing in the souls of others, where you're worried about others more than you're worried about yourself, where you're anxious for others more than you're anxious for yourself. When you do all that, all that ministry, the exhortation is let each one take care of 
how he builds upon it. And then in verses 11 through 15, Paul explains what he means by take care. We'll read them together. And here's going to be Paul's point. As you work, as you build, as you minister, keep in mind two things. The foundation and the fire. As you work, as you build your life, keep in mind two things. The foundation and the fire. More specifically, as you build your life, keep in mind that the foundation has been set. And the fire is coming. It's a good word for all of us, no matter what stage of life we're in. We're young and old here. Of course, the church in Corinth was no different. They would have had more children. They didn't have kids' church back then. They would have all been sitting in the room. The word is for all of us. For those of us who are older, who have made a lot of plans, who are who have decided really how we're going to live our life and who are pretty much in the the throes of that, it's good for us to evaluate and to consider what it is that we're building, what it is that we're really working for and working toward. And as we do that, we need to keep in mind that the foundation has been set and that a fire is coming. For those of you who are younger, who still have time and years to to make a plan for what you're going to do with your adult life. As you think about your future, as you think about the direction that you're going to take after school and in high school, and if it's college or career, whatever it is, and family and all of that, at some point soon, you must think about what kind of life you're going to live. You must think about what you're going to build. That's the analogy here. You're going to build a house and it is your life. You're going to build a structure and it is your life. And you need to think now about what that structure is going to look like. And as you do, keep in mind, the foundation is already set. And there is a fire that is coming. So let's see what Paul has to say. First, the foundation is set. The foundation is set. Verses 10 through 11. Let each one take care how he builds upon it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. As you live your life, remember the foundation is is already set. Don't build on something else. Don't build on another foundation. Don't make your own foundation. Whatever building you do, Christian, whatever work you do, 
whatever decisions you make, whatever ministry you pursue, it must have the gospel of Jesus Christ beneath it. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. It's true. Christ alone is the solid rock upon which we stand. Whatever we build, it must have beneath it the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It must have beneath it this truth. I am a great sinner. And he is a great savior. That must be the foundation beneath your work, the foundation beneath your family, the foundation beneath your relationships, the foundation beneath recreation, the foundation beneath entertainment, the, relation, the, the foundation under every breath you take, every work you do, anything and everything you build in this life must have beneath it this reality. That you are a great sinner and He is a great Savior. Think about what you're building right now. Think about what you're working for right now. What you're working toward right now. Does it have this, does it need that truth beneath it to stand? Or is it built on some other foundation? Does it need the reality that you're a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior? Is it dependent on that good news? Is it relying on that good news? Or does it not have anything to do with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Don't build on good works. Don't build on morality. Don't build on the approval or praise of others. Don't build on your success or accomplishments. Don't build on idols. Don't build on worldly wisdom. There is one foundation, and it is the gospel. Don't pour another foundation. Don't pour this foundation. I'm a good person. And then build your life on that foundation. Don't pour this foundation. My value is based on what I achieve and how successful I am. Don't build on that foundation. Don't pour this foundation. I need the praise and approval of others. Don't build on that foundation. Don't take an idol. Don't take your version of Christianity or your version of the gospel. Don't take another religion. Don't take the wisdom of the world. Don't take secular humanism. Don't take any of that and pour that foundation and start building your life on that. Because if you do, you'll see it'll burn up. It's all going to burn. So keep in mind, you don't have the authority, you don't have the right, you don't even have the ability to pour your own foundation. You showed up to this job site 
And the foundation has already been set. The slab has been poured. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever you do. Whatever you build. Whatever decisions you make. You better be standing on that foundation. So Paul reminds them and us. Hey, the foundation has already been set. Second, as you build, keep in mind, the fire is coming. Listen to verses 12 through 15. The fire is coming. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So we're told the day is coming, capital D. Most of your translations actually capitalize it. The day is coming. This is judgment day. This is the day when Jesus comes back and blows the whistle. Game over. No overtime. Revelation twenty-two twelve. Behold, I am coming soon. Bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. You've done good, repayment. You've done bad, repayment. You built something bad, repayment. You built something good, repayment. Or Romans 14, 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us, every one of us will give an account of himself to God. That means on that day, you will give an account for the life you lived. For the work you did. For what you built. It'll be manifested, we're told. It'll be disclosed. It'll be exposed. And it will be tested. And you will be held accountable for what you did with your life. Whatever you built. On that day, our work will be tested. What did you do with your life? What will your answer be on that day? These are great questions. What are you doing today that you will regret? I personally am highly motivated by regret. It's one of my biggest fears in life. I have regrets. I hate regrets. I have a hard time moving past regrets. I'm highly motivated by not piling up regrets. Some of you may be the same way. 
Paul's reminding us of this day so that we would ask questions like this. A day is coming when you are going to be faced with some regrets. So what are you doing today? Now's the time to ask the question. What are you doing today that you will regret doing? Here's another question. What are you not doing today that you will regret not doing? On that day, as you look back and examine, what did you do with your life? Did you build wisely or foolishly? Did you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ or did you build on something else? Did you did you build up the church or did you build up your own kingdom? Did you build with gold, silver and stone? Or did you build with wood, hay and straw? Did you hear those materials Paul used? There's gold, silver, and stone. And when the test of fire comes, they stand. And then there's wood, hay, and straw. And they're consumed by fire. This fire that's raging north of us has now been titled the most devastating fire in California history. As of this morning, over 149,000 acres were burned. Over 9,800 homes destroyed. 76 people have been killed. Over 1,200 people still unaccounted for. These workers are going into these towns like paradise. And they're going into these towns from house to house. They have lists of people who are unaccounted for and addresses. And they're going to the address where that house once was with a box. And they're looking for bone fragments. Because the fire came through and consumed everything in sight. Some of these pictures you can go and see online are unbelievable. It's hard to comprehend. Some of the pictures are taken from above. It's aerial photography. And you look down in some of these neighborhoods and the homes are completely gone. The only thing you can see are the foundations. All these cement slabs. Think about the metaphor Paul is using here. He says in verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, survives the fire, he will be receiving a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. Now notice, this isn't, this isn't talking about salvation. It's not talking about the fires of hell. It's talking about the work that a Christian has built. 
Christians can squander their lives. Christians can squander opportunity and they can build nothing that will last. They will in the end be saved, but the house they built will not last. It will be burnt up. He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You see the picture of this house fire. And the house is consumed. The house is burnt up. But the man singed. He escapes. He escapes. He is saved from the fires of hell. But the work that he did here on earth is non-existent. And there will be no reward for him in heaven. Everything selfish he did burned up. Everything worldly he did, burned up. Everything built on an alternate foundation, burned up. And it'll look like one of these pictures we can see. It'll just be the concrete slab. The foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've been given so much. But what you selfishly built didn't last a minute in the test of fire. In conclusion, are you working to build up the church? Are you working to build up the church? By God's grace, as Paul said, according to the grace given to you, of course, by his help and without his help, no work can be done. But are you working to build up the church? Are you spending and being spent for the souls, not just the bodies, but for the souls of others? Are you being spent for the souls of your family? For the souls of your children. For the souls of your neighbors. For the souls of your co-workers. For the souls of those people in your church. Are you working to build up the church? Are you declaring the gospel? Are you demonstrating the power of the gospel? By living in a way. By living a life that can only be lived. Because of the gospel. If you took the gospel away. Would your life look any different? Or would it look the same as everyone else's? Whenever I think about. These kinds of texts and what it means to. To work and to build something that will last and. To invest in others and in the good of others and being spent for their souls. I'm reminded of men who've gone before me throughout history that were the prime examples of this. And we have so many. 
I think of people like this week, I thought of William Tyndale. Born in 1494, in the early 1500s in England, he had come under the influence of the Reformation. And he was looking around in England and realizing that no one knew the gospel. People who called themselves Christians, but no one knew the gospel. And no one knew the gospel. Do you know this? Because no one had a Bible in a language they could read. They were being controlled by the church. They were being controlled by the Pope. They were seeing the common person was as unfit of having a Bible in their hands. It needed to be taught to them by a Pope or a priest. It needed to be interpreted for them. It was illegal for them to have a Bible. And so Tyndale looked around and said, I must do something. His goal, he said, was that the plowboy in the field would know God more than the Pope in Rome. And so he was determined to give every English speaking a Bible to read. He was a master linguist, spoke, I think, eight languages. In 1524, he had to flee England. There was nowhere where he could take on that work safely. He ended up in Wittenberg, Germany, under the pastoring and teaching of Martin Luther. And he began to translate his Bible. And he had to go from town to town, from village to village, evading capture. He translated into English the entire New Testament, And half of the Old Testament. So that we could have this. And read it for ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit. And hear about the foundation that has been set and the fire that was coming. And he lasted as long as he could until he was arrested. And at the age of only 41, the same age I am today. Put on a stake in England. And strangled with a chain to death. Surrounded by gunpowder. And lit on fire. To literally explode before all the people. So an example would be set. Of what happens to people. Who disobey the law. And interpret the word of God into English. Or another way of saying that. To die is an example of what may happen if you don't waste your life. You may not be a William Tyndale. I'm not a William Tyndale. I'm not. But don't waste your life. You may not translate God's word into a language that it has never been translated into before. You may, though. You may. There are many languages that still do not have the word of God translated. But you may not do that. But you are who you are. 
and you've been given the personality you've been given and the gifts you've been given and the talents you've been given and the opportunities that you've been given, don't waste those opportunities. The foundation is set. Stand on that foundation and build and remember the fire is coming. You have been given a foundation. The foundation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take care how you build upon it. Every Sunday here, following every sermon, we respond to God's word by taking communion together. We do this in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and in remembrance of what he has accomplished for us on the cross. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three and following says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we're remembering his death. We're proclaiming his death. And if you're visiting here with us today, you're invited to take communion with us today if you are a Christian. If you are a baptized believer that has turned from sin and has placed your faith, your trust, your reliance on Jesus Christ alone for your salvation and nothing else. If you are part of this church or another church that faithfully preaches the gospel, you're welcome to take communion with us. In just a minute, we'll have leaders up front who would like to serve you. We ask that you enter it into the center aisle and come forward, take the bread and juice, hang on to them, return to your seat and wait, and we'll take communion together today as a family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, in response to your word today, we now remember the sacrificial death of your son. May you be glorified as we remember and proclaim his sacrifice in our place so that we could be reconciled to you. We give you all praise and all glory and all honor. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.